Dear gracious God, we thank you for the many gifts you have blessed us with. We pray that you would use these resources for your glory, your honor, and the building of your kingdom. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Please remain standing for the reading of God's word. Our scripture reading this Easter morning comes from John's Gospel, the 20th chapter, beginning at verse 11 and reading through verse 18. John chapter 20, verse 11 through 18. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she went, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head, one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Will you pray with me? God, may this story penetrate to our, not only our hearts, but into our deepest hopes. May you, God, as you open the tomb, open us to the greatest joys and delights that earth can offer, having been brought to us in and through the divine life of your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. It's doubly good to be with you this morning, having been raised from the flu dead just recently. So I hope you'll pardon me if I have to turn my head and cough this morning. Uh, I'll try not to do it into the microphone. And I will leave it to your discretion whether you would like to shake hands this morning. I'm not... Uh, contagious any longer, but nevertheless, um, we can still greet one another with a smile. Some of you will have said goodbye to house guests this weekend, and you'll have the bed stripped before the car is out of the driveway. (laughs) Collectively, we in Orlando said goodbye to company yesterday. 
Yesterday was the busiest day at the Orlando International Airport ever. It was expected that 160,000 passengers were expected to pass through the Orlando Airport yesterday. And you know what that means. That's a lot of sheets. (laughs) But when I am reminded of that kind of thing, it causes me to think once again on why Orlando is one of the favorite tourist destinations in the world. Because uh, what they sell, they sell very well in Orlando. And basically what Orlando sells is experience. And this reminds me of one of my theories about modern life. A lot of our lives we spent trying to make life as boring as possible. And if we succeed, then we have to end up buying back excitement. Think about it. Getting a good education, reducing the possibilities of non-gainful employment, uh, saving and working hard, reducing the vulnerabilities of economic uncertainty, buying good health insurance so that we even take the guesswork out of that, and more in recent years, being more health conscious so that we can pretty much predict, at least as best as any generation, of what the future is going to be like. Uh, We've diversified our portfolios and extend a lot of effort and energy trying to take the boredom and put it to good use. Life is cultivated boredom, and success is cultivating that boredom as much as possible. I will prove it to you. If you will take an 18-month-old boy, put an ice cream cone in his hands, sit him down on the floor, and let a puppy start to lick his face you will see the greatest ecstasy of any creature that has ever lived. But in the time it takes that dog to stop licking that child's face and to snatch that cone, you will see that child go to the greatest agony and anger and sense of abandonment and terror that any person has ever experienced. All in the space it takes that dog to turn its head. And so what do we teach our children? We teach them to Bring it in a little bit. Bring down the highs and bring up the lows and manage your emotions. And that's a good life skill to have. But you see, here's, the I think, the tragedy. Modern life in general has taken the unpredictability. Or shall I say, we have used modern life to take the unpredictability out of life so that we have brought down the lows in order to raise up, I'm sorry, we have raised up the lows, but we have also brought down the highs. And as a result, we live as people with a very narrow bandwidth of expectations about agony and ecstasy. In our cultivated boredom, in protecting ourselves as well as we can from agony, We have insured ourselves, as it were, against ecstasy. In learning life's lessons and inoculating ourselves from the depths of woe, the question I want us to ask this morning is whether we have immunized ourselves from unutterable 
joy. Mary Magdalene stands before us as a case in point. She has vested every hope, every thought, all that she expects of life in the person of Jesus Christ. And yet when she finds those hopes apparently dashed, she is thrown to the very depths. But you see, as we look at the story from this side of what she found out, we overlook the fact that it was her vulnerability to the depths that made it possible for her to be raised to the heights. We expect way too less Way too little out of life, I think. And Mary stands before us as an example. Is if we will open ourselves up to the most unbearable, impossible depths of agony, we will find the greatest, most infinite joy in the person of Jesus Christ. Especially on the resurrection morning, and as we celebrate it today, Easter Sunday. I want us to see how Mary experiences this and perhaps be tempted to follow in her ways. First, we see that she beheld the glory of God in victory, but didn't know it. The story is a resumption of what actually began at the beginning of the chapter, We were told that on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark, and she saw that the stone had been rolled away. And she ran back and told the the, the disciples, and John and Peter take the center stage at that point. But at verse 11, after John and Peter have gone away to report that the grave is empty, Mary stands there. She stands there weeping because the tomb is empty. And what she doesn't quite yet know is that the tomb is empty because her hopes have been fulfilled. John's gospel begins with this statement that that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, glory as of the only begotten of God. You see, in Jesus Christ, we are told there is a story about God's glory that the the glory of the Creator of heaven and earth is now come to reveal that divine glory in the person of Jesus. And so when Jesus stands by the open tomb, He is showing the glory of God. There's even some things we don't have time to go into this morning that are very intriguing. The stationing of the of the two angels at the head and the foot of where Jesus had laid, is a very similar image to the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament. And it was above the Ark that God said He would meet with His people, where He would reveal Himself in the glory cloud that came to dwell in the tabernacle. And it was above the Ark of the Covenant where there was the propitiatory or the mercy seat where where atonement for sins was offered. Uh, There's, I think, very uh, clearly here, from my Old Testament point of view, a picture of the tabernacle, but it's no longer the tabernacle with its sealed curtains 
uh, where only a few could access the glory of God. But that tabernacle has been thrown open. This is John's version of the temple curtain being torn in through, torn, torn in two. That the glory of God has emerged from the tomb, signifying that Christ has made atonement for sin. And that in Jesus Christ, the glory of God has been made manifest in a way that would dwell among us. Where God would be a friend to us and we could be a friend to God and have fellowship with Him. And she sees this victory, although she doesn't quite recognize it yet. She also sees something that John chapter 1 also told us, that the light shined in the world, that the light shined in the darkness, but the darkness did not overcome it. We're told that at the very beginning of John's gospel, and and we're not told until the very end that the, the light won. But we see here the light has won. And if, if, if there was ever a week in the last year where, where the, the darkness in the world was not a bare fact, this is, this is certainly one which proves there is darkness in the world. We don't have to have major uh, tragedies in the news to show us that, that we know even from our own hearts there is darkness. We know from the deeds of other people there is darkness. We know there is darkness of understanding. We don't know where to go in our and how to make our way in the world. And and the world can be a confusing place, and it can be a hostile place. But John's message is that the light has shined in the darkness, and the darkness did not win. And Mary sees that, although she doesn't yet fully recognize it. She will momentarily see that the glory of God has won. But the second thing she will see is that the glory of God is rising. The glory of God is rising. Uh, This is in this strange statement of Jesus in verse 17. Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Uh, What is Jesus saying there? Well, there are many places in John's Gospel, and particularly from chapter 13 through 16, if you want to read some of these statements, where Jesus talked about returning to the Father, or returning from where He had come. But He not only said that He would go away, He said that it is necessary that He goes away, because by going away, by returning to the Father, He would send a Helper. See, as long as the resurrected Christ in His flesh inhabited the earth, He was a God bound in space and time. But by the ascending work of God the Son and the ascending of God the Spirit, now the victory of Christ, the glory that won, the glory that overcame the darkness, now the divine life which Christ won for us can now be sent to all nations and all times, to all peoples. You see, as long as Christ lived on this earth, even in His glorified state, the Spirit could not go to the nations. The Spirit could not come to us 20 centuries later so that the divine life which raised Jesus from the dead would live in us and give life to us as well. 
And so Jesus is, even though he has won over victory and death, even though he has atoned for sin on the cross, he is still at work as he meets Mary. And this is why he says, he doesn't say, don't touch me, is some maybe less good translation. He says, don't cling to me. Meaning, I am going somewhere else. And Mary, it will be better for you just as it will be better for all who believe in me through the ages if I go away to send the Comforter. But because the Spirit is not just the Comforter, the Spirit is the presence of the risen Christ Himself. The Holy Spirit is not just the one who tells us about Jesus, who opens our eyes to the truth of God's Word, but the Spirit of Christ is the means by which Jesus fulfilled His promise, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Christ is present in His church through the Spirit. And through the Spirit, it is Christ Himself which is present among us. And so the glory is rising so it can shine among the nations. But what changed things so quick from Mary's weeping to her grasping and wanting to cling to her Savior Jesus. It's because she heard the glory of God speak her name. The angels first interrogate Mary. They say, woman, why are you weeping? She explains, well, they've taken away my Lord. I don't know where they've laid him. And when she senses someone present, she turns and she sees a man and she doesn't recognize him. We're not told specifically why. Perhaps in his transformed state, he uh, looks different enough that she doesn't readily recognize him. Perhaps because she is in the agony of despair that she dare not even hope that she might see Jesus risen. There are statements in John's Gospel that tell us that all those people who were going through the lives, the life and events of Jesus, they didn't get it. Back in chapter 12, we were told that it wasn't until He was glorified that they understood these things. We have the benefit of standing on the other side of the resurrection and we have the light of God's Word But as they lived in and through the story, all things were not always clear. And she mistakes him to be the gardener. And he asks her the same question. He said, woman, why are you weeping? But Jesus knows that the answer to that question is not in a why. But the real answer to a question is in a who. Because he follows with, whom are you seeking? You see, Jesus knew that the answer to her agony would be found in a person. Would be found in the person that she sought. And she protests to him that she wants to find that person. 
And all it took from Jesus was to say the name Mary. She heard a voice that she had heard many times. We know very little of Mary that except that she was delivered from seven demons, Luke's gospel tells us. And she was among the women who uh, helped support and serve and who accompanied the, the disciples. She was part of the company of Jesus. While perhaps she had not been forgiven much, as one woman we read about in the gospels, she had been freed from much. Because to be Freed from seven demons would be to be freed from a perfect and complete and unbreakable servitude to whatever form that servitude took. So she had been freed from much. And the voice that had undoubtedly freed her by commanding those demons to leave her had spoken her name many times. And while she cannot hope to hear that same voice speak her name again because he has been crucified, she stood at the cross. She is mentioned in all the Gospels as one of those who stood at the cross, who did not run away, but who stayed with Jesus until the end. Beyond her hopes, she hears that same voice say her name once again. Mary. And she responds with the title, the title of endearment to which she had referred to him, which she had called him doubtless herself many times, Rabboni, teacher. And what she finds in this word of Jesus is what he had promised in John chapter 10 where Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. My sheep know my voice, and I call them by name. Mary saw the glory now in full victory. She saw the glory rising to the Father so that the divine life which he has won for his sheep would be poured out on them. And he gives her a commission to go and tell the others that I have seen the Lord, which is what she did. You know, when Mary stood by the garden that day, or by the open tomb that day, she was not just a witness to the resurrected Jesus. She was the first witness of the new heavens and earth. The new heavens and earth began that day with Jesus risen from the dead. Victory over the powers of sin and darkness. Divine life being poured about on those who would be called by name by the good shepherd. And while she had put all of her cards on the table, had she had put all her marbles in the bag. She had put all her bets on the person of Jesus. She experiences that intense, unthinkable, inexpressible agony 
Yet in hearing her name spoken by the Good Shepherd, she is taken to infinite joy. And that is a reminder for those of you who have heard your name called by Christ to come back to the open tomb, to that moment wavering between absolute hopelessness and ultimate bliss, to be renewed in what this gospel is for you, to stand on the other side of the resurrection just for a moment so that you can step back to this side full of the kind of joy and and life that Christ has brought. Because, frankly, over time, life teaches us not to expect too much, and we won't be disappointed. But you see, when we don't expect much, we're never satisfied. But especially if, if you are hearing the voice of the Good Shepherd call your name for the first time, this is a chance for you to let go of all your insurance policies, to put that ice cream cone back in your hand, even though the dog might snatch it, to be willing to think that you could be more happy and more full of joy than you have ever been in your life. But you have to be willing to be disappointed. But God says that those who trust in Him will not be disappointed. There is an old hymn, many of you probably have sung it many times, how sweet the name of Jesus sounds in a believer's ear. I like that hymn. I like that thought. I think you probably do too. But this story from John's Gospel tells us also how sweet our name sounds in the mouth of our Good Shepherd. As He has called you, and offered to you His divine life, may you experience the ecstasy that He has won over the darkness, that He has revealed to us the glory of God, and that He has poured out upon us His divine life by His ascending work, so that He speaks in listening to His voice, new life the dead receive. He speaks our name, and new life comes to us. We pray together. God, we pray that as we open up ourselves to the possibility of utter agony and disappointment, as we see all of our broken cisterns hold nothing. 
as you have brought us to the fountain of living waters, who has given us the Spirit and life in His name. Help us to be so full of the joy of our Master this morning, of the knowledge that He knows His own and His own know Him, that even though all that we have invested in in this life may have been to keep us from this pinnacle of ecstasy in Him. Lord, lead us into the, div- the delight of the divine life, which has come to us by His victorious resurrection from the dead. We pray in His name. Amen. Please stand.